Ladies and gentlemen, it's a big, big week. First of all, hopefully you've seen the news that me and James Goddard are joining the team over at Unity News Network for a Friday night sesh every week from nine. And we're not going to hold back, you know. James and I have been through this process, received genuine hate from all sides, lived to tell the tale, and uh, we're going to tell those tales. So hopefully we will be putting a significant dent in the reputations of Patriotic Alternative, Tommy Robinson, Andrew Tate, Richard Tice, Trigonometry, and every other phony containment unit set up to trap the right wing. As well as giving you an update on all the latest dingy nonces to arrive on our fair shores. And also, my new subscribe star's just been verified. So, despite having a reputation as a grifter for some reason, I mean, I haven't been asking for your help, but I'm a little bit beyond pretending that this is a hobby and not my career. I'll probably always have the likes of Jeremy Wales making their little jealous videos about me. It comes with the territory. But for those of you that don't just come to hurl abuse, this is for you guys. There's three tiers at play here. If you become a supporter for $5 a month, you'll get early access to all of my interviews two days before they go out on other platforms. And that includes my interview with Rafi Farber, which is up there right now. And I've also put the Christmas episode of Vile.News up there as well. If you become a squad member for $20 a month, that gets you access to the VIP lounge, the war room where I'm going to teach you my hustle and how to become a real alpha male top G. Nah, not really. I'm crap at that. No, my war room is where we coordinate our activism. This will include, but will not be limited to, intercepting drag queens who want to pervert our children, hotels full of illegal immigrants, and of course, talk TV. The phone is a weapon, and I want to gather some of you lot together and have some fun like we did in the early days of 2020. And then there's the Whopper tier. If you're just some big fat rich boomer who's built their empire and really wants to help me out, there is a $100 tier. I'm not banking on anyone going for it, but it's there. I haven't asked for a penny in two years because it wasn't worth the hassle and the hate you get. And I've spent a good amount of money on Zoom and StreamYard and my train tickets and my web hosting and all the rest of it. Like, it costs me money to do this. So if you want to help me beat the trolls and do exactly what I'm already doing, but more of it, then the new Subscribestar link is below. Today I'm speaking with Gloria Masters, who is a survivor of extreme child sexual abuse and is helping the world to break the silence. Because that's what we do here. Always censored, never silent, this is Unwashed. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm really excited to be here today with Gloria Masters. How are you doing today, Gloria? Yeah, I'm great. I, I'm over in good old uh, Auckland, New Zealand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so lovely to meet you, Nick. I mean, we've been keeping our eye on New Zealand kind of with horror in the last three years, but we're not we're not going to get into that too much because we're trying to evade censorship laws. But um very quickly, how have you found that? How have you found being in New Zealand throughout all of this? Oh, look, it's been um, it's been challenging. I think it's been interesting, and I think people fall into one of two camps. But you know what? I I just try and focus on the good and and everyone. And I think you and I included in that we have great things about us, and we have things that aren't so. Well, okay, yeah, you're you're quite focused on what you're here to do, um, and you're a very bubbly, lively person with a frankly horrible backstory. Um, yeah. and I, I don't even know how to preface it, so I might as well just hand over to you. Tell tell people what your backstory is. Okay, so I was born and bred in New Zealand into a family designed for sex trafficking. 
And I don't say that lightly. So from a very young age, as a toddler, my father started abusing me, extended family, got involved. He started to make some money out of me. And then I began to get leased into his pedophile ring and into the Freemasons. Um, and it's not to say every Freemason is a pedophile. Um, and into gangs. His mother and one of my aunties was tasked with training me on being the best child sex worker I could be. Now, just as we're breathing, you, uh, you know, you can feel the weight of it, Nick. This became my life, and I was fit for purpose and trained for that. From the age of five and a half, my grandmother would lock me into a room and teach me the art of seducing men uh, and being, I was very sexualized, and uh, my father made a lot of money out of me. Um. At the age of 11, my parents separated and I was left in my father's care. And my brother and father both lived in the house and those were the worst days of my young life. I attempted to take my life several times during the 18 months I was left with them simply because the psychological uh sexual and physical abuse was too much for me um out of the three it was a psychological stuff that just made me not want to be around anymore sorry just need to breathe but the the reality is that I um I had to at the age of 12 and a half I got to go and live back with my mother. That's a whole other story. And I was so relieved. I couldn't believe my luck, except it wasn't luck, Nick, because I was then told that I would have to see him, my father, visit him every two weeks. For your audience watching, you can imagine the 12 days of safety with my mother and sisters and then having to build up to the absolute fear and trauma of having every those two days of fortnight with him because what he did was made the most out of it and I was exhausted and traumatized and terrified. At the age of 16, I didn't have to see him ever again. So I didn't ever willingly see him again. Of course, I saw him at family gatherings, um, you know, weddings, funerals, that sort of thing, but I never, never spoke to him willingly again. So look, I can talk about it and I have healed from it but I don't want to minimize what this was. This was the, my recovery and healing took decades and decades and decades of hard, confronting, miserable, painful trauma and recovery. Okay, so that's my backstory. And then we fast track to today and... I'm so grateful to be alive. I'm so grateful to be here. I'm so grateful, Nick, because I didn't think I was going to survive. And I did. So my gift now is to help other survivors. And I run a charity called Handing the Shame Back, which is what us survivors do when we speak. You see, we're handing the shame back, even as we're talking now, Nick. Handing the shame back to where it belongs because it doesn't belong with survivors. And I also run a YouTube channel where I dedicate, uh, this is dedicated 100% to the up 
to one in three adult survivors globally who have experienced and do experience as children uh, some form of child sexual abuse. So that's called Hanny the Shameback as well. We, we ought to just dwell on that statistic, one in three. Um, where does that come from? How are we making that estimate? Okay, so in New Zealand, we lead the world in child sexual abuse statistics, among other things. This comes from our latest statistics, which say that by the age of 16, a girl will have been sexually abused will have been. The statistics show or then state that up to one in six boys will have been sexually abused. Now, what I know and what I suspect you know as well, Nick, is that I'm not buying the statistics for the boys because we know that men don't tend to talk about this stuff. It's almost impossible for them to get a narrative that is acceptable to a society. Why? Because men are conditioned to be strong, resilient, the caregivers, the providers, the protectors. So there's no space for them to have been vulnerable, traumatised, small children. Uh, but that's so that's where I get my statistics on. And when I speak to people across the world, because I interview survivors from everywhere, uh, my understanding is that this is the most widely underreported crime there is. This is equally the biggest money earner there is, as in trafficking, as in child sex trafficking. So I stand by what I say. I say up to one in three adults have experienced some form of child sexual abuse. It became obvious to me uh, as I, I I cover a big range of topics. I mean, my number one value, I think, is truth. And therefore, my number one enemy in that is censorship. And it's also the biggest red flag is if something is being censored, then let's have a look at it. Um, and as I've started to meet people who have stories that are similar to yours, it's it's kind of mind blowing the level of censorship um, because it's it's quite different. It's not just the media not reporting on it. It is it's everyone on a determined campaign to call the people that speak about this crazy. You've used the acronym DAVO. Should we talk about what that is? Sure. So, and and then, and I then I'd also like to talk to you a bit about why the silence is there. Um, so, Davo technique. It was coined by Jeanette Freyd in the nineteen nineties, and Davo simply means the acronym is D deny a um, gosh attack. attack. Uh, reverse the order of victim and offender. So that's how they do it. So I come to you and I say, Nick, I've been abused as a child. You go, no, that's not possible. I know your parents. You then say, you know, you've always been, this is the attack mode. You've always been the, the difficult one in your family, eh? the troublemaker. So immediately you've attacked me. Reverse the order of victim and then the offender by either attacking my credibility, my state of mind, or something about me. So what I'll do as a survivor, and I'm speaking for all survivors, is I'm actually going to shut down because it took me so much courage to find the words to even speak my truth, and now I've been shut down. So highly unlikely I will speak of this again, ever or easily. Exactly, which is why the service that you're offering to people is so important because uh, the authorities don't offer a safe space. Safe space is an incredibly ridiculed term and there are situations where it's so important. It's clear to me that this is one. Yep. 
So the silence, I want to say, we have a general attitude in society that this is a really uncomfortable topic, yeah? Yeah. yeah. So most good people don't want to talk about it, Nick, because it feels awkward. They don't know what to do with it. They just wish you'd shut up and change the subject. It's uncomfortable. So that silence comes from what I like to call the enablers or the gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. Just explain. If good people do nothing, evil exists. You know that, that quote, I've got it back from. The second group is us as survivors, and I've just kind of explained a little about why we will never speak. But the big thing for me, and that's why I call it handing the shame back, is our shame. Shame renders us silent because we were made to feel as children that we were wrong or that we were bad or that uh, we did something to cause this. That's what happens as children. It's our fault. So the shame keeps us quiet. So that's two groups. And then, of course, the pedophiles or the abusers or the perpetrators, they're never going to speak of it because they're the good guys in our society. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't want to dwell too much on like how it was as a child, but were you living a double life where you had to go to school and act like none, none of this was happening? So you could be forgiven for thinking that survivors, most of us have complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, over 70% of us have this not Vietnam vets, survivors of child sexual abuse, just so you know. Yeah, but and that, specifically that that's um that's compound PTSD, isn't it? It's where it does it's not from one incident, it's from a repeated, sustained situation that you cannot escape from. I think that's my understanding of it. But it's also being triggered, Nick. We get triggered. So I could walk along the beach and see someone walking towards me who Reminds me of my father, maybe the gait is similar or maybe the way he holds his head. Immediately I'm triggered and my heart starts racing. I'm straight back into fight, flight, freeze or fawn. Mm -hmm. So don't underestimate triggers. Uh, we have them, uh, flashbacks, triggers, we, we experience those. Can we dwell on fawn a second there? Because I've heard this before, but it's often left out, isn't it? It's in that book that you you and I will talk about, my book. But I call it the four Fs, the trauma responses, fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. Now, fawn is new to the family. Fawn is what I was queen of. So I'm going to make sure everyone's happy. Going to make sure you don't have to ask for anything. I'll give you whatever you want, whenever you want. Because if you're happy, you're less likely to attack me and surprise me with your attack. Mm. So it's a way all of, all of trauma responses are designed to keep us safe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so th there was a long gap between uh, you cutting off all contact with your father and these memories coming back, wasn't there? Yes. So you asked me the double life. So sh shall I just finish with that? Yeah, 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 of course, yeah. But most, um, most survivors of this will have had behaviours exhibit because the pain of the trauma is too much for us to think about I led a double life you're 100% right I kind of had a false self so I was smiling life of the party always engaging always making sure everyone was happy underneath was a broken child but my double life at that time was because I had to be the good Catholic girl my mother saw me as and then turn into the sexualized child uh, that my father demanded of me. So that was my double life. That was my duality. It took me decades. I was very, very, very damaged psychologically. 
Well, from my reading around this topic, you you I've heard that you compartmentalize these as a trauma response, and this is what the suppressed memory is and why it takes so long to bring it up is because you have one mode of being which you're showing off to everybody, and then another one which is um dealing with the trauma. So you can call it that. I call it dissociation, and I'll liken it to you having a car accident. Depending on the severity of the accident, you're not going to remember it for a day, a week, a month, a year, depending on the severity. Why? Because your mind cuts in to protect you from the trauma. Yeah? Yeah. That's how I can explain it for survivors of child sexual abuse we dissociate we have to leave our bodies because staying in there is too much for us and we're also having breakfast with that person the next morning probably so over 93 percent of abusers are known to the child no it's it's unimaginable for those of us that have no experience with it um would people around have known or was this very, very well hidden? Or I suppose it was all part of an organised system, wasn't it? It's all systemic. You're 100% right. There's always people that know. There's people that may wonder or have wondered, like my teachers. What, the police interviewed one of my teachers um, years later and she, she, the detective told me that, uh, she actually said, look, if I'd known then what I know now, I would have said this child's been horrendously abused. But I, I didn't want to leave the school grounds. I would walk for hours after school. I never wanted to be at home. It was safer for me to be out on the streets in the dark walking than to be at home. So, you know, Yeah. Yeah. So, well, let's dwell on the positive. What What is the healing process? What's worked? Um, look, it's trial and error a bit, and everyone has an opinion. Um, so I can only talk about what worked for me. And, um, you know, I think just a disclaimer, just because it worked for me, it may not work for everybody, but uh, I, I stand by by my own healing, if you like. I, I'm a bit of a miracle that I ha am who I am now, uh, frankly. So I'm here to help other survivors. And I think the healing for me was, first of all, needing to accept it. Accept that the truth is this happened. So that may sound like a small statement, but to us as survivors... It's the biggest thing you'll ever do in your life is accept that this happened because then you become that person. So I I had to try and integrate all the disintegrated parts of myself to uh, fully realize who I was. And once I'd done that, I I then, and that was painful and slow, and once I'd done that, of course, the help of really good therapists make a difference. Um, and then things for me, like two things that have really saved my life as an adult. One is meditation and the other is exercise. And they both create or release endorphins which I hadn't realized uh, at the time. But meditation, because it took me into a deeper part of me where everything was safe and happy, and uh, I felt at peace. And my central nervous system got to calm down every time I meditated. So I still use that today, only 15 minutes a day. But if I don't do it, Nick, what I find is the day doesn't feel as good. It doesn't go as well for me. Um, and then the exercise, it can be anything you like. I chose, Back in those days, it was running. Uh, today, it's more like hiking or yoga or doing a bit of swimming. 
anything out in the fresh air really uh, just feeds me and lifts me. Mm-hmm. But there's many, many ways of of healing. But I think if you find the one or two or three that really resonate with you, and in my book, I've got a whole list of them. So there's choices for everybody. But I think there is a way through, and, and I'm so grateful to you for having me on the show and pre-show you and I talked and I said to you, you don't even know what lives you might save. Well, I, I suppose I didn't really tell you my background with this, which was that um, when I went out and started filming some protests in 2021 against what was going on in the world, I met three people directly in a row who had stories like yours um, of elite uh, child sex abuse. These are three victims in a row. And these just were just the people that I happened to talk to. I didn't go looking for them. And it was just, it was a breeze block over the head going, this is huge. This is an absolutely vast problem. Um, and then as I got to know them and watch what was going on with them, I saw I saw them being attacked on social media as crazy people. Um, and I saw the people that had been helping them, um, like there are certain whistleblowers within the police, and there's nothing. There's just there's a huge amount going into covering this up. And I also do wonder about sort of the broader implications this one in three figure is so interesting um do you think things like uh over sexualized music videos are a form of sexual trauma for children and things like that do you think this all sort of joins together Uh, Look, I I think we have groups like media are hugely responsible. Uh, Channels like Disney Plus, uh, there's just children should be children. Mm. And sexualized stuff doesn't help them at all. Do I think that's responsible for that no, I think you're you're with respect giving the pedophiles a hall pass here. No. Oh no, I, I I didn't mean that. I'm I meant could um could we all benefit from basically what you're talking about in terms of the healing if this is a systemic problem that kind of touches everything? Because I think I think those I think those uh, Netflix series and Disney series probably are that way inclined because the people running it are that way inclined that's that's what i'm getting at i'm not i'm not giving them a free pass in any way don't you worry no no i okay look i and and that's another myth that we're exposing yeah there's a little belief in my country that the abuse must occur with our very lower socioeconomic groups wrong this is across all of society and at the highest levels and it's no different in your country Mm. and I think it's time people took the blinkers off and realized that if our stats are that high one in three girls will be sexually abused by age 16 my question back to you is then what percentage of the population are doing the abusing? Yeah, which is which is terrifying. And I, I wanted to ask you, have you concluded that abusers are the abused as well and that this is passed down in that kind of way? Or Look, these different schools of thought. I, I know some beautiful male survivors who just cringe when those types of questions are uh, Asked and they cringe because they're naturally thought of as being abusers because mm. they've been abused. No, that's not the case at all. Um, there could be some, but I, I, I'm not really qualified to answer that. I don't have research on that. Um, but I do know that in my case, uh, 
it must have been generational because why would my grandmother get paid, she got paid commission, get paid to train me how to be a, a sex worker from the age of five? So it must have been something that was known. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the question for for those of us that can't understand it, is what makes, what uh, what shuts down the empathy in a person? And I'm not sure if you know the answers to that. Um, look, I think we're, we're talking serious mental health issues or unresolved trauma. It may not have been sexual abuse. Um, there can be, you know, people sometimes ask, what's the difference between physical abuse and sexual abuse? My response is, really? Mm. So, Nick, yes, so you found, you've found more and more that this is much bigger than what you had believed. And I call this the silent endemic globally why because mm. the silence around this is deafening I'll, I'll, I'll tell you yeah another part of my history with this was you've spoken to Annika Lucas haven't you yes I've interviewed her yeah so I remember here coming across her on a podcast that I listened to uh I guess it was about 2015 and I listened to this podcast every week it was just people talking about um their trauma in various in various ways and then her story came on and um you know he interviewed her and she told her story and my jaw was on the floor because this was revealing something enormous this was confirming that uh these elite pedophile rings do exist unless somebody can come out and 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 prove to me that this is a crazy person that has made it all up then i'm going to take her at her word and what was kind of peculiar was the next week on the show, he just interviewed somebody else and there was no, I didn't see any further investigation. That was just a guest. And um, and it was actually a while before I came across her again um, and then started putting it all together. It's like, this is, this is enormous. This is confirmed. Um, everybody knows about sort of Jimmy Savile in this country and Prince Andrew and, Epstein and all of this and yet you know and I think I think you're right that the the only way through it is to is to talk about it I think you're right and equally you I mentioned to you before about enablers and gatekeepers how many people around Jimmy Savile knew yeah so do you see my point for good people evil exists because good people do nothing I, I absolutely agree on that point because I think that the real story and the real story with Harvey Weinstein and Jeffrey Epstein and all of these, the, it's always painted as, ah, we got the monster. We caught the monster. And it's like, well, no, for, the, for that monster to operate, he must have had an enormous ring of protection. And you all know it's there. That's the actual story as far as I'm concerned. Um, and yeah, these people are just used as scapegoats, really. To be honest, in my country, no one's, the, when I say no one, the powers that be are not interested in hearing my story. Mm. Well, so I, that, that tells me everything. In your country, in the States, they they want to talk to me. They want to hear it. They want to see what I'm doing. They want to send survivors my way. They want to publish it. In my country please shut up and go away. Do you think that's because it's New Zealand specifically or do you think that's in your home country? Because the women that I've spoken to in England, they, there's efforts to shut them up in their home country. It's my home country. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and people don't want to know this. Um I've I was meant to have a guest spot on a TV show a couple of years ago. No, no, no. It gets shut down and, and stopped. Why? Because people don't want to know about it. My question to you is, or back, 
to them is this. People don't want to know about it doesn't mean that the child still has to get up the next morning and go to school. Well, yeah, I think it's a duty to tell people about about stuff like this. And it's quite nice that I think we've evolved into a format where these kind of conversations uh, where we just do it over Zoom and you have space are more common as opposed to a sensationalised TV thing, which would be... Because I, I remember these existing 10 or 15 or 20 years ago but it wouldn't be an it it's not a comforting way for someone to come forward um no it's not a comforting way but we're trying to reach the up to one and three adults across the world Hmm. who have experienced some form of child sexual where are they they're hidden they're in the shadows They've got no permission to speak. They've got no resource or support. It's incredibly difficult. We have men in our country, and yours I would hesitate to add, that take their own lives rather than speak this truth. And part of it is fear of um, being darvoed or shut down. The other part of it is is shame, the huge shame. But also there's there's those elite groups that you're not going to speak anytime soon. We should dwell on that natural sense of shame, though, because this seems um, common among all victims, you know, elite or not elite, anyone who's been through anything. This, um, This blaming yourself for what happened thing, it seems to be a just a part of how a human reacts to going through this is that something you've observed oh yeah let me put it this way it's very it's clear if you have an adult and a child in front of you the adult says that nothing's ever happened the child says something did i would put money on it that the majority of people would look at the adult listen to the adult, and take the adult's word over the child. So, and this is 2023. So, back in the uh, early days when this was all happening, and not just to me, but many other survivors out there, children were not encouraged to speak about anything or defy any adult you were encouraged to be a good child, go outside, speak, don't speak, don't be heard, and um, come in when you were told. There was no there was no real permission to talk about anything. The shame around this is because, We know what happened to us as it was happening was wrong. Every instinct in us was screaming, no, 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 it's wrong. But we couldn't take our instinct over what the adult was saying and doing because they had the power. Think of the movie Matilda where Danny DeVito says, I'm big, you're little, I'm smart, you're dumb, I'm right, you're wrong. That's what it's like for survivors. Mm. And even now, you said it yourself, you watch people try and speak out, they're davo, they're shut down, they're ridiculed, they're resented, their truth is not welcome here. Make sense? Well, as I say, I've done uh, interviews with a range of people for different reasons. And um, the one of the most shocking things to me, I'm increasingly talking to people who have been a victim of an extreme form of trauma. And increasingly, the almost as big, if not bigger than the trauma itself is this silence, as you're talking about, or having nowhere to go, or being told it's all in your head. And I'm seeing this being done to people for a myriad of, re- of reasons. This is not just what you've been 
through. But this this seems to be a huge problem is essentially the establishment saying, nope, it's all in your head. You're a crazy person. Well, it suits the narrative. I mean, if you it, it doesn't suit the narrative for the truth to be exposed. Think about it. Hmm. No, but it, it, the truth seems to be a runaway train at the moment. I'm very excited by it. How long have you been speaking about this? Well, I started speaking, my memoir, my first book detailing all of this uh, came out three years ago. I beg your pardon, two years ago. And it was then that I started speaking and, and being interviewed from the UK from the US, uh, South Africa, across the world, uh, not New Zealand. I do know and, some people in New Zealand. I will I will put you in contact with that would be okay. talk to you. So, we'll please, do. yeah. But but my point is this: I, I then started speaking, and then I realised how grateful I am. Like I'm so blessed because. I've emerged enough and healed enough to be able to give back. And that's my purpose in life now is to help others by shining light on this with love and humility. Well, that's exactly it. Is um as I do interviews about this, I think people get excited about exposing stuff. Um and the other half of it is no, 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 no. It's, it's not just get to the bad guys. Make sure that the good guys, or well, the people that have been through this, um, get through this as best they can. I just think it's such a service that you're doing. And if you had, you've made yourself a lighthouse in this regard. Have you had people flocking towards you? Yeah. Yes, and it's. Absolute, it humbles me, it, it just touches my heart that uh, uh, people do, you know, have some hope now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm really impressed. <laughs> Thank you for being so brave with with all of this. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's really impressive um, to see you come out the other end, like just so smiley and sort of competent and capable to take it all on um you're doing such a brave thing thank you and i i um i'm gonna say something that may surprise you i don't think i went through everything i did and i know you talk about other survivors there's not many in the world that have gone through the 16 years i did to be honest no um and emerged sane. A friend of mine reached out from the South Island and said, you should be a drug fart tour on the side of the road. And yet, look at you, you're an angel. Um, so my point being, how could I have gone through all of that and not do something with it? So that's what I'm here to do. Well, so you Hold put it down to that. You you say that you were only able to get through it so that you're able to get other people through it. Because it, 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 it is mind-blowing. I've been watching, um, oh, God, I can't remember. What's it called? Soft White Underbelly. It's a interview series with... Um, uh, I guess down and outs is one way to put it, but people that have really, really had a rough time and um, and have all sorts of addictions and stuff. And and that's why I'm so interested in what what is the route to making sure that people don't end up there? Um, because I don't blame people who do, because it's always the result of some horrific trauma. It's never really choice, is it? We don't have a choice. Look, it started in secrecy, continued in silence, and shame was all through it. But out of the three, shame takes the gold every time. Shame is what renders us incapacitated, helpless, silent. 
it's you a child is highly unlikely to speak up and out about this and i think people need to realize that the power differential is huge and um as i've just said earlier you put an adult and child in front of an adult or two no one's going to really take the child's world word are they you got to remember that where there's a pedophile within a family, they're very, these are well-known, likeable, charming people. You've had politicians in your country. You've had sports people in your country. You've had key people in your country who think Jimmy Savile, everyone loved him hiding in plain sight um so yeah i think that's that's huge look i think people have to turn to something because they're trying to bury the pain and the trauma but all i'll say is this if you're a survivor out there watching please trust yourself if this has happened to you you're not alone and there's a reason why you're feeling really bad um in our country one thing we do well nick is we provide free counseling through acc to survivors of child sexual abuse so that's something we do if this is so prevalent... sure sorry oh sorry say that I don't again know if i answer I don't know if I answered. I can't remember what you asked. Now I went off on a little ticky tour there. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's it's your platform to do with as you wish. Um, I think importantly, if this is so prevalent, are there any tells um, that I was specifically thinking of with the children um, rather than the paedophiles themselves? But I guess we can go into both. But specifically when looking at children, I'm kind of interested if there's any giveaways well look i i'm not an expert but i can give you what i've noticed and through my own experience as a child and, and watching and listening to others um one behavior extremes so becoming more and more introvert introverted not wanting to go out and uh, not behavior being less and less becoming less and less social uh, and silent um, or the other extreme which was me which is loud attention seeking um, always in trouble um, always wanting to be noticed and I did that at school because school was my only safe place so you know, when you think about it at school, the teachers will say, oh God, it's him again. He's always doing this. My, my response now to educators is stop saying he's always doing this and start asking, I wonder what's happened to him. Absolutely. I mean, I have, to, I have some real thought. I've had some real thoughts about the school system lately. I've been chatting to a friend of mine um, he's got two sons and he gets increasingly annoyed by whatever new policies are in the school and he just sort of rants to me about it but we talked about how school was and it was actually looking back very traumatic I don't really understand what a strict teacher is other than somebody who bullies children really I don't think there's any need to be a strict teacher at like a primary school and yet I've got a lot of memories of them you know and and I think a lot of it does uh, I, I remember a lot of of this kind of thinking of there's the kid that always acts out um, rather than why is that the kid that always acts out it's why we have to change the narrative instead of instead of that and everyone rolling their eyes eyes in the staff room asking what's happened to this child or what's not happening for this child mm. because where neglect and abandonment exist trauma will always and abuse will always find a home 
and um, yeah. So sorry, we didn't. Really, so look, I was going to say we didn't. I, really yeah. So, sorry, you you go you go. Um, just to finish and answer your question, extremes of behaviour are something I would recognise in a child. The other signs might be a child that clings to you and doesn't want to go with Auntie Joan or Dad consistently. Another is putting on three or four pairs of underpants or shorts, like constantly overdressing to keep safe. One of Jimmy Savile's uh, victims was doing that. Um, another is to suddenly start a bedwetting and hadn't ever bedwetted. Um, so there, there's lots of, of little things. Um, you might notice regression in behaviour. By that I mean a child going back to sucking a thumb even or rocking backwards and forwards like self-soothing behaviours. Um, yeah, so there's, there's a myriad, but I, I'm no expert on it. I'm only talking about uh, what I noticed. The other thing too with children, and we do this in our trauma states, is dissociate. So kids that are often kind of looking out the window or not there, they just find it hard to be present. Does that sort of answer your question? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, because basically, you know, a kid should just be a kid running around full of life. And you're kind of you're basically just describing, well, if that light seems to be dull for one reason or another. Or manic. Yeah, yeah, all the around flickering. Yeah. Our 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 prisons, our rehabs, our mental health facilities are all full of adults with unresolved trauma around this child sexual abuse. Yeah? Yeah. Our suicide rates, again, we lead the world in this. Our suicide rates, they're saying over 50% can be attributed to child sexual abuse. Hmm. So come on, world, wake up. Where's the noise around this? Yeah. So Let's help our beautiful survivors across the world we're good people, man. We've just been given a shit start. And there's a way through, and that's what I'm determined to do, Nick. There's a way through, and I'm going to hold the light for you guys till you can find it for yourselves. That's my promise. Well, I truly believe the tide is turning, and I didn't understand the scale of the lies that we're up against until... Um let's say the start of 2020, I think a lot of people have been through this where they've learned a lot about a lot of different things and we're fed up of it and we're all getting used to telling the truth um, and not really caring what anyone thinks because uh, we're going to, well, I've found from my own example that I only attract better people the more or the less I give a shit about, um, about what people think because the people that are going to judge me negatively well, I don't want to be around them anyway. Um, and we all seem to be moving in this same direction. You know, no more lies. Exactly. And case in point, you talk about the power and the elitist, 100% right. And here's a really good case in point, Brendan Fraser in the movie Whale, mm. which has just been released. He was sexually assaulted by the head of um, the Hollywood press, um, Anyway, who then banned him, got him blocked for over 20 years. And it wasn't until this person died that he is now back in. So that's what happens when survivors step forward, you see. We are cut. But I, it is, it, I think it's amazing because I haven't seen that film yet, but I know it's getting loads and loads of accolades and there's loads of... Um, loads of heart put into that performance and it's affected people deeply. And I think that probably is because there's this backstory to it and there is a lot of heart and emotion and meaning 
gone into it because it means a lot for a different reason and um and it's easy to sensationalize hollywood but i'm actually i i am genuinely interested in in just how bad it is i think anyone who is a famous child is a victim of child abuse whether or not there's anything actually going on i think even putting a child in that position and then you, you know the overlap is pretty much one for one isn't it there was um there was a, a woman called what was it Jeanette McCurty did you hear about her and her memoir that was only a year or two ago and that was that was all in the same ballpark so it is coming out and people are getting braver that's great it's helped them beautiful souls that they are I mean the thing is the shame thing is so big and all I know is I get treated within our, I call them our survivor community globally, you know, just with such love and respect. And, and I just want to say to all the beautiful survivors out there, you know, of course you believed. Why? Who would want to make this up? Mm. Come. What's to be gained? Really? Nothing. <laughs> That's it. From my perspective as a journalist, like um, it, it would be a bit more obvious if these people were making it up. They'd go about it in a different way. They'd be trying to sell the story and zhuzh it up and they'd be adding extra. Well, it's not even that they'd be adding extra details. It just wouldn't go like this. Um, and so and so it is important to me to help people tell their stories. Um because it's not, it's not hard for me to do. It's hard for you to do. Well, you know what? Again, if, if one survivor watches, gets a bit of hope and starts to feel a little less loaded, well, Nick, thank you. That's all good. So the uh, so the two key things, meditation and exercise. I think that's interesting because is trauma stored in the body and it's basically the best way to process it out you can't just do it by thinking in your mind it's got to be in the body body never forgets mm. yeah never forgets when I, I first started having recall um i started getting taste in my mouth um i started having really serious fear-filled responses. I um, I felt unsafe in a room where there were a lot of men. Um, and even if I hadn't remembered anything, the fact is my body was giving me cues. I never wanted to have my back to a door. Um, I was always on high alert. I could tell you you know, who was behind me, who was in front of me, whether that person over there means to hurt me or not. And I had no rational reason for that, but my body just kept giving me these signs, step away, back away, keep safe. I accosted two men coming up my driveway one day thinking they were going to rape me. They weren't. They were just doing surveying. Why would I make this shit up? Like, but well, that's what I'm power of the mind, the power of the mind. So, yeah. Was that pretty much constant until you started uncovering what was going on? You, your body was sort of, I guess, in a, a, fight, a fight or flight state and, and reacting on instinct in these situations until you figured out why. Well, I think it's what we talked about before, Nick. I think it's that dissociation. I wasn't ready to deal with this trauma. It would have, not to overstate it, but it would have killed me. So when I turned 16, I blocked everything, and I didn't remember it again until I was 32, and I had my second child. And then I started getting all these sensations and responses and just never feeling that safe 
um, and then getting the taste of blood in my mouth or semen in my mouth or, you know, just feeling like uh, I had to hide or keep as quiet as or still as I could. And things that's what I'm trying to say. The body stores it all and the mind knew it. And it was when you'll know when it's your time to uncover and deal with the trauma because it starts to reveal itself. So I was clearly ready. Did I want it? No. <laughs> it, was, it was probably the worst time in my adult life. If I hadn't had been a mother, I don't know that I'd be here today, Nick. That's how awful it was. You've got to remember there were 16 years of memory. So, so do, do you feel like it kind of happened to you rather than you seeking it out then? Your body sort of brought it up in you? Well, I always knew the day I turned 16, I never wanted to see my father again. I felt very unsafe around him and almost, oh, at that awful gut sinking feeling think of the most evil man you've ever met in your or woman you've ever met in your life so I knew something was there I didn't know what that was and again it wasn't my mind was protecting me I just knew I had to keep as far away from him as I could and um, then we were all at a family wedding and my sister gave my daughter to my father and I had just such a visceral reaction I had a my daughter um when I was 27 and I remember thinking get her away from him don't let her touch don't let him hold don't let him you know I just panicked now I had no recall at that point but again when you talk about um survivors and perhaps people who don't want us to tell our truth would say oh you're just mentally unwell you've always been a troublemaker why would my why would I I react so strongly to that you know there were just so many things that came through and then I finally started to remember what had happened but they came in the form of flashbacks triggers nightmares um yeah it was terrible terrible time yeah no I'm I'm just interested in how the how the mind locks it away and then how the body kind of brings it back as well um because it does it, yeah I, I I like this interpretation that that your body was saying no it's we're gonna do this we're gonna we're gonna work through this because we have to you know it's a hell of a story you've got here yeah well I you know can I say I wish it never had happened, um, but I can't take that back. And all I can do is turn it into how can I how can I make sense of it? So I've made sense of it. I've accepted it. Now I'm at a point where it's my absolute privilege to help others. So let's do well, this. Absolutely, let's do this. It's been a privilege to chat to you today. Um, you said if it helps one person, then then that means something. And I can already think of someone that I can send it to that will help so job done job done we've already succeeded um yeah 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 tell people um about the books and where they can find out more and everything okay so this is flight path to healing it's a guide for child sexual abuse survivors and it's written by me and um this is because I know we talked about it pre-show so I, I knew you wanted me to discuss it, yeah? Yep. This is, uh, I've been told it's a masterpiece and that's with without ego. I'm just saying that's what I've been told. Um, so, okay, I'll take that. <laughs> uh, but it's simply because it's experiential, Nick. So a survivor can pick this up, open it to any chapter in the book and you will get help. So I've designed the chapters into, it's a flight path. So you start with the boarding pass and you've got a boarding pass because guess what? You're a survivor. So you have one. Isn't that lovely? Then we go through your journey and you and I talked about the two things that helped me the most were your traveler's details and your destination details 
are filled with what you choose through those chapters in the book. So it might be meditation as one. It could be having fun with friends as another. It could be, um, you know, studying. It could be, um, you know, playing music, hobby. So I've got 11 chapters and I discuss what helped me, uh, how I used that particular modality as a child to help me, and then as an adult in my recovery. And then at the end of each chapter, I have some uh, experiential, it's a working guide, so they can work with and answer some questions. It's their guide. And then I have, you're going to love this, then I have a little mantra, mm. which is cardboard, can be per is perforated, it can be ripped out of the book, put up on a fridge or a bedside table or bedside mirror, um, and it kind of just is a little reminder. It's a, a mantra for each of those 11 core modalities. Then we look at things that are common to us as survivors, and I've mentioned some of them to you, like triggers, hypervigilance, the four Fs, shame, um, doubt, or, you know, there's, there's quite a few of those as well. And I write a little bit about that and, again, have a couple of questions. Then we look at healing modalities like Reiki, yoga, um, massage, you know, some things like that, uh, therapy, a little bit on each of those. And then finally you have your passport and the passport section is filled with what you choose through the previous sections that are personal to you. So it becomes a customised experiential guide. It's your flight path and your passport. Can I read this to you? This is so beautiful. This is a CSA survivor degree, child sexual abuse survivor degree. This passport entitles the traveller to live the rest of their life in peace and harmony. This cannot be returned, refunded or exchanged. The bearer has waited a lifetime for this trip. And uh, they put their name again. It's per it's perforated. It's cardboard. The name and the date. And that's how we end the book. Welcome aboard. That is beautiful. I think you're doing such important work. And um, this has brought such a smile to my face considering the subject matter. So thank you very, very much for chatting to me today, Gloria. And I'm sure we will keep in contact. I hope so. Thank you so much, Nick.